Hello again. I'm Lon Allison, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and it's my privilege to be with you today as we open the Bible and the Word of God to help us through life. Okay, we're in a series that's called The Promises of God. Promises, promises, da-da-da-da, promises, promises. The promises of God. It's like Christmas time. What do I mean by that? Well, all the brightly colored packages that await us under our Christmas trees, that's kind of how we're presenting the great promises of God this week, um, like shiny Christmas packages. But I remember as a kid, sometimes my mom would spoof me. And the way she would spoof me is she would, you know, wrap our presents and then it always seemed like there was one that was specially wrapped, nicer paper, maybe foil instead of just the regular paper, you know, and the kind of uh, a ribbon or bow that you keep afterwards and put in a sack to use the next year. They're really good ones, you know. And there it is. And, and I remember uh, oftentimes opening my other gifts, but always looking at the brightly colored package with the bow on it, because undoubtedly that's going to be the greatest Christmas present, the greatest promise in the world, only to often save it for last and to open it. And it was usually socks. <laughs> and Marie does the same thing. Save the socks for last. Now, when it comes to the promises of God, like pretty colored packages of God's gifts to us, I got to say that the one we're doing today initially came across to me like socks. I mean, think of what we've had. Think of practicing the presence of God with us. Think of what it is, peace, the, the promise of peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and minds. Think of provision, the God who has promised to meet all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Those are pretty packages. Wisdom, eh. I initially kind of said, well, yeah, you got you to have socks. You get them. I, I, wisdom, my head's already too stuffed with facts, figures, information, and ideas coming at me all the time. And now God says, no, my wisdom supersedes it all. And I go, okay, 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 uh, all right. But, but boy, I'm a little cluttered as it is, God, up here. What is the wisdom of God? Is it really important to him? Evidently, take a look at this text from Proverbs chapter 3, 13 through 15. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom, her is wisdom. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. That's from God's perspective. So what? Lon should not think of it like socks. Evidently, it's the greatest of all of his promises to us. Nothing you desire can compare with getting God's wisdom. So what is God's wisdom? What is it? Lots of definitions. Uh, but if I were to create the big picture, I'm going to juxtaposition knowledge versus wisdom because they're not the same thing. Both are mentioned in the Scriptures. Both have value. 
But wisdom has more to do with the practical use of knowledge. And don't we need that? Here's the definition I use for wisdom defined. God's truths understood and applied to the whole of life, to all of life. God's truths understood. That's really important. God's truths understood and then able to be applied into our lives in all places, all the time. That's what God wants from uh, wisdom. N knowledge and wisdom, different. Uh, knowledge is more like ideas. Knowledge more like thoughts, facts, information, brilliance. But getting it into the fabric of human life so that it helps us navigate the storms, that's what we really need. Uh, I have a wonderful quote that came from our devotions this week. Incidentally, Scott Young just did a great job on our devotions. I don't know if you get those, but you can get a little devotion every day come into your inbox written by our, our folks. And Scott did a great job. He was talking about Omar Bradley, who was, perhaps some of you know that study war, uh, he was a great general in World War II. And in fact, Omar Bradley um, had more troops under his jurisdiction and leadership than any other general in U.S. history. He's the last U.S. general to be a five-star general, Omar Bradley. Thoughtful guy, grew up in rural America, and his grandparents raised him, and they went to church every Sunday. So five-star Omar, Omar Bradley says, after World War II, these things. This is uh, actually from a speech he gave on Veterans Day in 1948. He said, we have too many men of science and too few men of God. We've grasped the mystery of the atom and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. Man is stumbling blindly through a spiritual darkness while toying with the precarious secrets of life and death. The world has achieved, and I have these, this next phrase underlined, the world has achieved brilliance without wisdom. Power without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace. More about killing than we know about living. Omar Bradley collected writings. That's a little bit of what I'm trying to get to, the difference between brilliance, the difference between knowledge and wisdom, which is knowledge applied. Um, perhaps a silly illustration, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, this week I had the pleasure of sitting with one of you, and um, this, this wonderful man has been in the meat business his whole life, and he must have heard me say in a sermon how much Marie and I like high-end uh, Costco steaks. I don't know when I said that, but we do. Uh, and sorry, vegans, 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 legions, I'm sorry. So anyhow, before we started talking about the stuff that he really came in for, he brought us some steaks, which we had last night, and they were just incredible, etc. Et but he taught me the difference between prime and choice meat, 
and he talked to me about high-end prime uh, meats, and, and, and he talked about um, how one best prepares a great steak. Oh, incidentally, he did say that the high-end Costco steaks are the same ones you get and pay $60 for when you go to Ruth Chris or any other steakhouse. I don't want to show favoritism. He says, but the preparation's everything. I get it is, huh? He says, yes. So here's slide one. <laughs> now, watch me here. Because <laughs> I was told I really have to work on this illustration a little more if it's going to work after the first service. That's knowledge. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's great content. But it hasn't been cooked. It hasn't been understood. It hasn't been grappled with in the human mind so that it can be applied to my stomach. <laughs> Slide two. Aha. There it is. Ready, prepared rightly. What am I saying? I am saying the difference between knowledge and wisdom is one is brilliance, the other is the application of brilliance. And I am saying to everyone that is sitting here, when it comes to the wisdom of God, you will learn about it through his word. You will learn about it through the Bible and other people. But you must give yourself attention to understand it, to cook it, to meditate upon it. That's why I love life groups. I have a Tuesday morning life group with men. We take the scripture that was taught the Sunday before and we go into that thing deeply. Why? Because it's got to be cooked before it becomes wisdom in my life and applied out. Applied brilliance. Well, it sure matters to God a lot. Lon likened it to socks in a pretty package. But God, as you know, sees it above all the other promises. Nothing you desire can compare with her. You say, well, why? Why does wisdom matter so much? Well, for me, I'll tell you what. Yeah, I live in a world of complexity and corruption. And so do you. I desperately need God's wisdom to make sense of things, to help me to prioritize things rightly in my life. Now, because the world is so complex and so corrupt, uh, we need God's wisdom, which is pure and righteous, to help us navigate life. We also learn in Proverbs, there's several passages in the Proverbs which are the wisdom literature, part of the wisdom literature of, of the Bible. And it's, wisdom from God will save us from some just horrendous errors. The first one of those is wisdom is valuable because it saves us from ill-gotten gain. The Proverbs talks about the pursuit of wealth, the wanting of more. And it actually says that ill-gotten gain actually results in taking away the life of those who get it. We all know what wealth is and can be used for the glory of God, but we Many of us also know the driving, almost idol idolatrous nature of wanting more and more and more. And Proverbs says it, it'll take the life out of those who get it. Proverbs 1.19. Second thing, uh, it says that God's wisdom saves us from 
corrupt world views. It, it uses language in Proverbs 2, 12 through 15, like not to listen to perverse words, not to listen to dark ways, not to, not to be tempted to follow crooked paths. In the New Testament, it talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought filtered through the lens of God's wisdom. Otherwise, we can get corrupted in our thinking. We can value things that God doesn't value. We can make too much of things that God makes very little value of. We desperately need God's wisdom to save us from corrupt worldviews. Far-right political ideology, far-left political ideology, and everything in between. God, grant us wisdom to know how godly people perceive the institutions of society. Yeah. Third, says that God's wisdom will save us uh, from immoral relationships. Throughout the Proverbs, it talks about the dangers of sexual immorality in all of its forms. And God's wisdom is intended to save us from that. Yeah, just, just three keys. There, there's more that it saves us from. Ill-gotten gain, corrupt worldviews, immoral relationships. It also promises us things. The wisdom of God, it says in Proverbs 3, 16 through 18, gives us long life. Right? And you know what the definition of long life is in, in the sacred scriptures, right? Life here and life eternal. That's what long life is. It gives us uh, riches. You see, Lon, you just said that riches shouldn't be considered. No, the right use of riches is a wondrous thing. And not only that, the Bible never categorizes riches as only monetary. Loving relationships, family, friends, orderly world. Yeah, those are riches. Honor is another one. When people that are possessed by God's wisdom are honored by others, they can make sense out of things that seem nonsensical because it's God's wisdom. And pleasant ways and peaceful paths. <laughs> pleasant ways and peaceful paths. Isn't that nice language? I, I, Marie and I are getting a little bit of that. Uh, I'm navigating a very serious health thing with cancer, as most of you know. And you cannot believe the different roads and routes that one can take when dealing with terminal cancers. But we have just sought God. We've sought his wisdom. And we seem to be being naturally led to the places and the doctors and the things that he wants so that I can stand here today full of energy and life with this great big cancer inside me and, and even doctors saying, why are you so vibrant? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm glad I am. It, pleasant ways and peaceful paths even in the crisis of life. God's wisdom helps you navigate toward pleasant ways and peaceful paths even in the crises of life. Wow. So, is wisdom matter? Oh, yes, it sure does. So open your Bibles with me, if you will, please. And I want us to look at one small passage from the New Testament, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Now we want to talk about how do we acquire God's wisdom. We know what it is. We know it's good for us. 
How do we get it? So we're going to let James, who is the most, uh, his, his book uh, is less about theology than it is about ethics and putting, putting wisdom into practice than perhaps any other New Testament document. And right in chapter 1, starting in verse 5, he writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, there we go, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Verse 6, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. For such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So let's look at verse 5 one more time because we're going to camp on that for about seven, eight minutes here. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given you. That could be a whole sermon right there. The wisdom we need is the wisdom of God. And he says, ask for it. Well, let's just think about the wisdom of God for a moment. I, I looked at so many wonderful theological statements on God's wisdom. This is the one that I like the best. God has the infinite, perfect comprehension of all that is or might be. Once again, God has the infinite, perfect comprehension, infinite and perfect comprehension of all that is or might be. So isn't that the kind of deity you want to ask wisdom from? <laughs> He's got it all. Infinite, perfect, complete comprehension of all that is or even might be. He possesses in himself. Ask God. Now, I heard a good story, again, from Scott Young in the devotions this week. And it's a story about Henry Ford, when Henry Ford was just developing the um, uh, Model T and the assembly lines, and they needed tremendous amounts of power in the factories for all that they were doing to mass produce the Model T. And so uh, normal generators couldn't produce the kind of power that was necessary, so he actually hired a man by the name of Charles Steinmetz to develop new kinds of generators that would then empower uh, his, his power plants so that they could roll the cars off the line. And evidently in one of the factories, the generators broke down. And so they called local electricians and probably electrical engineers to come in and they could not fix Steinmetz uh, uh, generators. And so Ford call Steinmetz and say, I need you. Your generator is broke down. I'm, lo you know, I'm losing money and all that sort of thing. Uh, and I guess, he was, I guess Henry Ford was kind of tight-fisted with his wealth. I, I haven't read biographies on his life, but that's, that's what I understand. So come in here and get this fixed. So Steinmetz shows up at this factory, and in a matter of just an hour or two, everything is humming and running the way it should. Really quick, he got it taken care of. Then he sent Henry Ford the bill. And the bill was for $10,000. And 
And in that day, that's a lot of money. And in fact, uh, uh, Scott writes that, that uh, Ford was flabbergasted. Why so high? He sent back a note. And Steinmetz, very smart guy, he says, for tinkering with the generators, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. That's good, isn't it? Why would you look anywhere else for wisdom when you've got Steinmetz in heaven who wants to give you what you need? Go to the founder. Go to the creator. He is the one that gives us wisdom. And when it says ask God, what's that mean? Well, it means prayer. Ask God. As you, as you sit in the morning with the Lord, just take five minutes and think about your calendar and the day and just place each of those things in God's hands that you know are coming and say, God, would you grant me wisdom to navigate those things? As you're driving to an appointment, uh, and it could be a real tough one you're facing or a, or a, a critical decision in your, in your plant or in your workplace, and, and you, just, you just shoot up a prayer to heaven and you say, God, I need your wisdom to navigate this. Make the request for wisdom a regular part of your own supplication, your own request before God. I think we'll see a difference as we do that. So ask the infinite God for the wisdom that we need. Now, the word ask there is also important. When Rob spoke on prayer last week in, in the 11th chapter of Luke, I think he mentioned that those three words, ask, seek, and knock, were all in what we call a, a present imperative form in the original language. What's that mean? It means ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. So we'll apply that to wisdom. Ask for wisdom. Seek wisdom. Knock on God's door for wisdom and just keep at it. And it's in the imperative, which means what? It's a command. Ask and keep on asking, God says. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. When it comes to wisdom, this passage in James 1 is also in that present tense. Ask and keep on asking for wisdom. So that's helpful, okay? Now then, look what it promises next in verse 5. It says, Who always gives generously to everyone without finding fault, and it will be given you. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given you. Generous. The generosity of God will be given to you. A lot of us have a really mixed up image of God. We see him as distant and unengaged or, or we might see him as mad most of the time but because Jesus died for our sins, he's got to forgive us. Or, or like a critical parent in whose home we might have grown up. Dad, I, I, I tried to put the brakes on right on the back of my 57 Chevrolet, but I just can't get those brake pads to line up quite right. And to hear my dad say, how many times do I have to teach you to do that? That's not God. None of those are God. He's generous. Think of God's generosity. He created the heavens and the earth and all of their beauty and their form and their wonder and their order. He gifts the universe to us. 
Think of God creating humans as the pinnacle of, of creation and creating us in his own image and likeness. He didn't have to do that. It's gift. Think of God who realizes that humans need to see how life operates and comes himself squeezed into a human body and lives among us to show us how one navigates and lives life in perfection in Jesus Christ. Think of God's generosity that his own son Jesus Christ who displayed a perfect life then takes on all of our imperfections and because of his extraordinary love dies for our sins on the cross. Think of God through Jesus who says, I will be with you to the end of time. So he rises from the dead and he sends the spirit to dwell with us and in us. Think of God who, who says that this world in its goodness, in its harshness, in its brevity is only the beginning and eternity awaits us. All of that causes me to say, my God is a generous God. So when we ask him for wisdom, the generosity of God gives it to us. This is the God you are seeking wisdom from, the one who is all wise and all generous. And he always says yes. You know, do you struggle to know the will of God in some things? Oh, I do. Yeah, all the time. What do you want here? You know where you, when you never have to ask that? When you're asking for wisdom? It will be given you. Ask God. It will be given you. It is always God's will to give you godly wisdom to navigate life. I like that. Yeah. Oh, and this little part without finding fault. I, I kind of hit on that already. It's he gives generously to all without finding fault. It's not the, the mean parent who says, how many times do I have to tell you this? No, no, no. Every time is fresh to God and his generosity wants to give us his wisdom because you know what? He knows how wacky we really are. He knows that we can't get anything right without him. And he just cherishes when we ask him for his ways and means through it all. Ask God for wisdom. <laughs> all right, now, look at 6 through 8. This is interesting. Because in verses 6 through 8, it shows that there's a condition to receiving wisdom from God. There's a condition to it. So here it goes. But when you ask... You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So when you ask, you need to ask without doubting. And then he uses the analogy of a doubting person who, who asks for wisdom but doubts whether it's going to come is like a wave of the sea, and they rush in and they rush out. We were at Lake Michigan last weekend. It's kind of like the sea. Our granddaughter was with us. She calls it her ocean. And, 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 and it, goes, it goes out, then it comes in. And, and it comes in and then goes out that way. And then you got riptides and currents and all this stuff, and it's basically anarchy. 
And when we ask God for wisdom, it says if we, if we just doubt, oh, I, I probably shouldn't ask God for this. It's such a small thing to which God says, is anything in your life big to me? Uh, it, 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 well, I should do this on myself. I have a degree. Uh, 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 God, I need you. Oh, I, I can handle it. Uh, God, I want you. I can't make this without you. Well, maybe I can. Uh, and, and lots of times we vacillate between dependency on ourselves and dependency on God, and God basically says, I need a little bit of faith. Okay, you say, well, what is faith? Placing your trust in God alone for his wisdom and his power to navigate your issues. You say, oh, I try to do that. I touch it. I touch that kind of faith. I touch it. I touch it. I touch it. But then I forget about it. And, and, and Yes, yeah, so do I. And even in the scriptures, we have the father whose son was in epileptic seizures and, 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 and has demons. And, and Jesus says, well, do you believe and the father says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I mean, even if you got this much, it's about all you need. And if you need more, say, God, help me have faith to really believe you for this. Help me to have faith that you have the plan for dealing with my cancer. Because I'm tempted to forget. A little dab will do you when it comes to faith. But when we don't believe, trust, faith, we're tossed around like the sea. And no wonder we don't see God's wisdom. And no wonder we don't act on it. And so, brothers and sisters, the circumstances of life will tempt you to try to operate in your own authority and power. And that's wrong because you'll become like waves of the sea. Lord, by faith I believe you for this. Grant us wisdom. Yeah, that's the condition. Some of us, we, we, we have faith in God for our past. And we have faith in God for our future. Here's what I mean by that. We have faith in God for our past because those of us who know and love Jesus Christ know that we have been forgiven for all of our sins, right? We have faith in God for that accomplished on the historical cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we say, yeah, I know that all my sins, past, present, and future, are, are forgiven because of Christ. And then we, then, then, then we pretty much have faith in eternal life. You know, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever trusts in him, faiths in him, will never perish but have eternal life. We trust God for our past. We trust God for our future. It's in the day-to-day -day <laughs> that we rub into trouble. And I'm just here to say what God wants you to learn is how to live by faith in your now. Any issue that's important to you is important to God. Trust Him. Place your faith in Him. Ask Him through prayer for wisdom. Say, well, okay, Lon. Okay. Well, how do we receive wisdom? Here's some practical applications. You'll be able to think of more. In fact, when the life groups deal with this passage this week, I bet you'll outthink me on this 100 times over. But here's a few things I got to say. How do you receive wisdom? Well, first you receive it fast or you receive it slow. Now, how was that for clarity? 
What do I mean by that? Sometimes you seek wisdom on an issue, and man, it just comes right there. It comes right there. I was, I was installing a new remote garage door opener yesterday. And I read the instructions, and I did what the instructions said three times, and it didn't work. And then I said, God, do I have to take this back? Is this the wrong one? Am I doing this right? I read it one more time, and I realized I completely left out one step in getting it set up. So I simply went through it again, employed that one step, and hit a button on the garb, uh, garage door opener, and I heard everything click, and the door went down. And then I pressed my clicker, and it went up. And then I pressed my clicker, and it went down. And I pressed my clicker, and it went up. And I pressed my clicker, and it went down. What a mechanic! <laughs> no, I paused to say, God, I need you even for this. <laughs> and then I saw what I'd missed. Sometimes it's real fast. Other times it's laboriously slow. And that's primarily because, folks, God's got other plans for you beside giving you wisdom for the situation you're facing. According to the beginning of this passage, this asking for wisdom comes out of the context of having challenges, crisis, struggles, and all kinds of trials in your life. And those don't always go away just like that, do they? God reveals guidance to us in pieces. And part of the reason for that is he's not only wanting to give you his will and way for your situation, he's at work in you to start carving you and making you more like Jesus Christ through perseverance and ongoing prayer. He's working in the situation and he's working in you at the same time. And sometimes I want to say, don't give me so much attention, God. I'd rather just have the answer to this. No, but his goal is maturity and Christ-likeness, and it takes perseverance and slow understanding to move us through. Second one. This one's easier. God illuminates or illumines the Word of God, which is the Bible. He illuminates the Bible, the Word of God. It's, have you had this experience where you're reading along in the scriptures and then something jumps off the page for you and it's kind of like you suddenly sense an application to your own life? Well, that's like what I'm dealing with with Marie right now. And, and suddenly this passage provides guidance and wisdom. That's because the Holy Spirit is using his revealed scriptures, the Bible, to speak right into your life and grant you wisdom and understanding in an area. The whole Bible is for our learning. Quite often, God highlights parts of it as wisdom for our day. I like that. Third, counsel. Uh, other people. Other people God will use. And so when you're dealing with a tough issue and you say, I'm not sure quite what to do with this. Uh, and, and so uh, Bill will speak into it and Scotty will speak into it and Rick will speak into it and, 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 and David will speak into it in, in my life group. And then that doesn't mean it's God their counsel but God might be speaking through one or more of them and so you take it to the Lord and you said Lord was there wisdom from one of those guys that you want me to apply is that how you're revealing it so again you go to God in prayer and asking him to illumine the counsel um, sometimes it's just straight into your own intuition or your thought process kind of like what happened with me in the garage door I didn't open the word and say where in the scriptures does it talk about uh, Liftmaster? And, uh, 
No. I just said, God, I need help. I, I, this, I can't get the clicker to work. Boom. Read it again. I go, oh. Kind of cool. And finally, uh, God's wisdom will come in surprising ways. He's just not a tame lion, everybody. But he will always give it. It's his promise to you. And there's nothing we should desire more to navigate our world. Why? Because of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives in us and guides us. He has become for us, as it says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, the wisdom of God. Oh, how great is the wisdom of God. Lord, take these words now and move them into our hearts where you wish them to be. Apply them into each listener's life. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.